Pastor Sean, Pastor Linda, I've known for years and years now and uh, we've had different interactions along the way. Many of them have been accidental phone calls because you've tried to ring Danielle Bate and my name happens to be right next to hers. And so every time you tap it, you accidentally tap mine and I get a about maybe two or three phone calls a year. Sometimes uh, Pastor Sean asking me to do something and, and I'll say, it's, it's actually me. And then we have a brief conversation and then he gets on with his day and I get on with mine. But it's, it's an absolute honour to be here, especially it's your 25th year anniversary, which is an incredible honour. It's an incredible achievement, incredible milestone. So I'm absolutely honoured and everything that you do for our nation, not only Canberra and this church, but for the nation. So can we honour our pastors today? Incredible. But I want to preach today uh, to you out of this thought of the well. That's right, I said the well. Redigging the wells. Now, I, I, I got this word in about 2014. God spoke to me out of a terrible time that I was in personally. I was in a, I was in a little town called Morwell. Has anybody ever heard of Morwell before? There's six of you. That, that's the entire population. You've, you've all made it today. That's incredible. You, you escaped. And um, not many do. And, and so I'm, I'm there. At this time, I'm pastoring a church out there. And, and personally, uh, we were living in this area which was right next door to the Morwell Mine. And at that time, there was a Morwell Mine fire going on. It had been burning for 42 days, which some of us believe uh, a, a man of the name... Uh, Great pastor in our nation, Corey Turner, started when he came to our church and said, I call down fire. And then all of a sudden, that afternoon, a fire started. And then the mine fire burned for 42 days. And I lived for I lived about 400 metres away from this place. And I'm in the backyard. And this was 2014. We all had to wear masks before they were popular. And so we were wearing them in the backyard. And I had to mow the lawn because of the, the, the toxic smoke. And God speaks to me in this moment. He says, Daniel, it's time to redig the wells. It's time to redig the wells of prayer over Australia again. I didn't really know what this word meant. I, I thought about it, I pondered it. And God, what He was showing me was that if we want to see a revival in our nation, it's time to pray again. And I don't just mean pray over your, over your food before you eat it. I mean, pray, have a prayer life. If we want to see a revival, come on, there has to be a revelation. We have to get a revelation of His Word. Not only His Word, but who I am in Christ and what I can do. See, I've looked at different revivals around the world. I, I, I've seen them. They, they seem to come, out, come up strong and peter out later on. But the thing that will sustain a revival is a reformation. It's the only thing that will change. You've got to have something change about you. That's what it means. You've got to be reformed. It means I can't keep living the same way and expect a different result. I've got to change. 
I've got to do something. And I'm so encouraged that your church got together and prayed and fasted. That is one of the things that you've got to do. Luke 11, verse 1, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. I mean, you think about this. This is Jesus' disciples. They could have asked for anything. They could have asked for, hey, Lord, um, teach us how to make money. Like, look, should we invest in, into Bitcoin now? Like, it's quite early on, uh, buy shares in Microsoft. I'm not sure. Teach us how to make wealth. No, they don't say that. They don't say all these other things that they could have asked. Teach us for fame, how to be famous. No, they ask one thing. I wonder what you would ask if you were standing with Jesus right now. If you could ask Him anything, what would it be? They ask one thing, teach us how to pray. Why? You gotta understand, these are young men. Most of them had grown up learning and, and studying the Torah. They knew it off by heart. But yet this one thing they felt that obviously it was lacking in their lives, prayer. They've seen Jesus pray. They've seen Him go off early in the morning before the sun rises, it says He would go out and pray and seek the Lord. Teach us, Lord, what it is that you do to pray. And He says, well, this is what you need to pray for. Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. Come on, who still believes that? Come on, who's believing for His kingdom to come? Oh, come on, church. I don't know about you, but I'm believing. I'm praying. I'm asking. I'm crying out. I'm fasting that His kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. You know what this means, church? Healing, miracles, salvations. Come on, provision. I'm telling you right now, this is what we need to be praying for, that His kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Teach us how to pray. Why? Because prayer is powerful. Prayer is the thing that will change your life, that relationship with God. And as I said before, here I was asking God, teach me, teach me how to pray. He takes me to this Scripture, Genesis 26. Genesis 26, verse 18. And it says here that, says, and Isaac, dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham and he called them by the names which his father had called them. I'm telling you, church, you want to see a revival. It is time to redig these wells of prayer. I was, uh, I was going to say I was born at a very young age. Um, I grew up in Adelaide and born there and and uh, my dad's a pastor and my mum is and my sister actually as well. And my, my grandfather, Bill Bates, and he was a state superintendent in Adelaide. And my uncle, uh, Jack Allsop, he was also... So actually, you can trace it all the way to the Apostle Peter. It's quite amazing how <laughs> many generations it goes back. But it, it, uh, there's, there's a heritage there and, and I honour that and it's incredible. And so I grew up understanding and seeing God move. I knew from a young age that God was real. When I was six years old, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll tell more about that tonight. But uh, I felt the power of God. I saw an angel when I was eight years old. And, and, and I've, I've seen and witnessed God's power. I've seen it for myself. I know it's real. 
I know God is real. But one thing I had never seen was God's healing power. I'd seen people be delivered. I'd seen people shake. I'd seen people fall over. I'd seen people speak in tongues. But I'd never seen someone instantly healed. And so I had this burden inside of me, crying out to God, when will we see this again? I don't know about you, but I read the Word. I believed it. I believed that these things happened. Actually, one of my favourite passages, Scriptures, is Mark 16. The Great Commission. Well, it shouldn't even be the Great Commission. It's just the Commission. It's what we're told to do. Go into all the world, preach the Gospel, get people saved. But there's this part I think so many of us forget about. It says, for those who believe, signs and wonders will follow after you. What does it say? It gives us five signs. You'll lay hands on people. You'll see demons flee. It says that you'll speak in other tongues. You'll take up de- deadly substances. They won't harm you. You'll stand on snakes and they, they won't bother you. I've got no snakes here today, so don't worry about that. But it's quite incredible. I, I-, I believed. I believed about these things. I grew up believing these things, but I never seen them. And it was this tragic day uh, when I took on this church. I was 27 years of age and, and I started pastoring. In the first few weeks of me pastoring, one of our members passed away. He rode his motorbike off after church and got hit by a car and started to bleed out. And I was called to the hospital and went there to pray for him and nothing happened. He passed away. Here I am, 27, doing my first funeral, meeting different families that I've never met before, telling them about that there's an eternity and, and he's with the Lord right now. And, and then not too long after that, I get another phone call. One of the other parishioners, our members of the church have had a brain aneurysm. They're in hospital, we need prayer straight away. Go there, lay hands on her. She passed away. And I get another phone call about a week later, friend of yours that I graduated with in year 12, She's been teaching in the UK. She's coming back because she's got stage four cancer. And it's not looking good. I, I, I see this girl. She's deteriorating right in front of our eyes. She says, do you believe in healing? I said, yes, I believe in a God who heals. She said, will you pray for me? I said, yes. She said, also, I've, I've walked away from the Lord. I said, well, it's time to come home. I prayed for her. She gave her life to Jesus. She died two weeks later. Did a funeral, half of my school was there. And here I am, a pastor. Most of them more shocked that I was the pastor than anything else. Seven of them gave their lives to Jesus that day. But it went on. One after another, 10 people passed away in less than 10 months of me first stepping in as a, as a pastor. I didn't know what hit me. I, I believed this. I remember crying out in the hospital, praying for these people, saying, God, you said, if I believe, signs and wonders will follow me. But I wasn't seeing any. I don't know if you can relate to this at all. I don't know if any of you have been there before. Any of you have stepped in those hospital doors and prayed like this or been at your bedside praying and believing in nothing. God speaks to me this word. He says this, Daniel, you're an unbelieving believer. I said, God, I don't know what you mean. He said, yeah, you go to church. <laughs> you even pastor. 
You say these things, but yet you don't live them. I said, God, help me. Like the prayer, help me with my unbelief. He said, you're like what James says. You're a hearer of the Word, but not a doer. You hear it, but you don't act upon it. I said, God, help me. What do I need to do? He said, re-dig the wells. Come on, would you shake your neighbour and say, re-dig the wells this morning? Come on, the other, turn to the other neighbour and say, it's time. Today is your day. And then I went into this prayer closet. I started praying and praying and praying about for a year. Praying and praying and fasting, seeking God, saw nothing, held an altar call every single Sunday, prayed for every single person, nothing. until about a year and all of a sudden it happened. First person, it was my niece actually, got healed of eczema. And I was more shocked than they were. I couldn't believe it. And, and, and then it went on. A boy came to us, broke his arm at football training on a Wednesday came to youth on a Friday, prayed for him. He got completely healed and played football on the Saturday. Praise God. After that, it was one after another. Broken bones, broken bones. A lady came from Queensland. She'd been in a car accident two and a half years prior. Was constantly getting pinned and pinned and pinned. Uh, as with surgery comes down, we feel the arm cracking underneath uh, the skin as we pray for her. She gets completely healed, goes back to her specialist, sends the x-rays down, nothing wrong. I was like... Broken bones, anyone with broken bones, it became my thing. Anyone, anyone, broken, anything, pinky, uh, little toe, whatever, it doesn't matter. If it's broken, we'll pray for it. And, and it snowballed, it snowballed and things started happening every single place. People getting healed, people getting set free. And I remember I'm at this conference and it came to that session, you know, the session that's just before the lunch break and everybody's dying to get out. The pastors or the announcer come up and say, hey, we're going out for lunch. It's our lunch break. But if anybody's here that wants prayer, there's a guy here. His name's Daniel. And he's seen a couple of healings. If if any of you want prayer, come and get prayed for. Well, the attendance of that conference is about 1,100 people. And about 1,100 people lined up for prayer. (laughs) No one went to lunch. And can I be honest? I felt like lunch. I was one of those that wanted to go for lunch. I'm glad this is an honest church. And to make matters worse, people lined up for prayer this way, that way. And the first person they brought to me was a girl in a wheelchair. And I don't know about you, but I know I've already established an honest place, an honest church. I feel like I need to warm up sometimes. Does anybody ever feel like that? No one, you're all so holy and spiritual. No, like you need to warm up, like get something going. Not the first person. And to make things worse, she's convulsing violently and they're bringing her down. I can just feel the, the faith sapping out of the room as, she, as they bring her up here. And I'm thinking, Lord, why the girl in a wheelchair first? Give me a block nose or something. Like, let's, I can deal with an ingrown toenail. Not a girl in a wheelchair, please, Lord. And so they bring her up. She's shaking. They bring, put her on the stage. I said, what's the problem? They said, uh, uh, um, uh, Lyme's disease. I said, I don't know what that is. And that's two and a half years she'd been bound to a wheelchair, fed, clothed, bathed by her mother. She can't do anything. She can barely speak. I get a word of knowledge. I said, in the name of Jesus. And she's staring right at me. Have you ever prayed for somebody and they're looking right at you? It's quite intimidating. 
Millennials, they don't know how to receive anymore, I'm telling you. So it's, just, it's quite simple. Gen Z, I'm talking to you as well. Just pray, in Jesus' name, be still. She hits the floor, still staring back at me. And then she says in a clear voice, can I get up? I said, yes, of course. She says, do you realise what you've done? I picked her up. I said, I think so. And then she starts to scream at the top of her lungs. She takes off running up and down the stage, completely free, ran around three times, did a lap of the building. She comes back to me with her sneakers. I said, what have you got there? She said, I've got my sneakers. I said, why do you have them? She said, because she said, two and a half years ago, three years ago now, I was a marathon runner. I used to run in tournaments all across the world. In, in, uh, in the, the last one I did was in the United States and then I ended up like this, a cripple. And, and God said to me in a dream last night, take your sneakers because you're going to run again. There's a man tomorrow has an authority to see you healed. Take your sneakers, you're going to run again. She ran three and a half kilometres back home after that service. Then she ran three and a half kilometres back to church. She runs to church every single day. Church, I'm telling you, that was six years ago and she's still running. Come on, somebody. God is a healer and He still heals today. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. His power hasn't diminished, it hasn't fallen. I'm telling you, church, if you only just reach out and grab a hold of it, he can do it all. I've seen people healed of fear, depression, anxiety. Even last week, a lady told me she got healed of bipolar, off medication now, in her late 60s, completely healed. The doctors told her, you can't come off this medication. Once you're on it, it rewires you. You, 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 you can't do this. She came off instantly, cold turkey. She's been healed, completely healed, set free. God can do it. Amen. Here's, I want to give you three quick thoughts this morning. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, it says here, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. My third, first thought this morning is ask. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. I actually remember singing a song once in church that I'm praising on the inside. And I, I, I thought about this for a while and then I thought, actually, you can't. You have to say something. You've got to declare something. Here's the high priest of your confession. No confession, no high priest. You've got to declare something. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Right? You've got to say Something, Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. You've got to say something. I've even heard people say, Oh, I don't say anything, Pastor, because, you know, if I say something, even, even demons will hear it. And then they will wreck it. I don't know what that means, but that means wreck it. I'm like, are you kidding me? You've got to say something. You've got to let it be known. Isaiah 40, verse 30 says, Even the youth shall faint and become weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Right? It, strength doesn't come from lifetime fitness 24-7. It comes from waiting upon the Lord. 
Oh, you don't know the years that I've had. I've had the worst two and a half years of my life. I just feel weak. I feel depleted. I can't. When was the last time you waited on the Lord? You know what I think about a fancy restaurant? They take you in and they ask you all the different selections of, of water. Would you like tap? You're like, ooh, still, mm, ooh, sparkling, thank you, right? Have you ever had that good table service? And they come around, they bring everything out for you, they put the cloth on you and, and all these sorts of stuff. And, and you feel like it's incredible. I'm being waited upon. When was the last time you waited upon the Lord? So many of us are sitting in our easy chairs at home going, Lord, why don't you use me? Playing Call of Duty. Saying, God, when will you come? When was the last time you got into the house of God and said, I'm here. Use me, God, for service. I'll turn up early. I'll set up. I'll pack the chairs. I'll do whatever it takes. Come on, church. Next thought is seek. Before this, I I just want to share that I liken this to the outer court of the temple. If you're familiar with Solomon's temple, what it had was an outer court. People would come into that outer court and what they would do is they had this set up of wash bowls and, and and an altar for sacrifice. And this is like the realm of ask. Our prayer life in the realm of ask is like this. We come in, we wash, and we put a sacrifice on there. We say sorry again. We repent of our sins. And the sad thing is, so many believers live in this realm only. They never progress. They come in, they say, they pray for five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe half an hour. It might be a stretch, but half an hour, they're still saying sorry by the end of it. And then we shut the door and we leave. And we never progress to the next realm which I call the realm of seek. In this realm, everything changes. In this realm, this is a worshipper's realm. When you step foot into the holy place, you see you've got the menorah. You've got the showbread, represents his provision. God is our provider. The menorah lights the way to the front, to the gold inlaid incense altar. This is where the sacrifice is made. Church, are you prepared to do what it takes today? Come on, to see this generation one for Jesus. To see your family, to see your street. Come on, because I'm telling you, grace is free, but everything after that's going to cost you something. It costs something to redig those wells. Isaac and his, and his servant, it said they got on their hands and knees, if you look up their commentary, and they dug with their hands. They used sticks, they used whatever they could. And you know what? Digging the wells of prayer, it feels like this. Planting a church, establishing anything in a ministry, it feels like this. It's just handfuls of mud, rock after rock after rock. Your fingers are bent back, the nails are peeling off, your hands are bleeding. That's what it feels like. But so many of us get to this crossroad in life of disappointment. What does it say? Prayer answered is a tree of life. And we get to this road of indecision. Should I live like a a full-on Christian? Should I give my life to this? Should I keep believing or should I just go with the flow? I want to tell you, church, keep on digging. I can see it now.
I can see the water seeping through the cracks of that mud. Come on, don't give up now. Your miracle's around the corner. Keep on praying, keep on pressing in. And before you know it, those rocks start to burst out with water. Come on, that water starts to flow through that well, bringing life, bringing a spring that will never run dry. And I'm telling you that living water will flow out of this vessel. Keep on believing, church. The realm of seek is where everything changes. This is where you steward the anointing. So many people don't teach on this. I know it's quite deep, but this is what happens. What happens when you receive an anointing, when you steward it in that realm of seek, God then trusts you with His power and pours out the gifts of the Spirit upon you. And those gifts aren't for, look at me, I'm gifted. It's for ministry. It's for service. Freely you've received, freely give. And from that moment on, I would say that their prayers are like incense, Psalm 141. And it says that when the, the priest will walk through the high priest into the Holy of Holies through the veil, that a puff of that incense would go before. That's your prayers, that's your worship. And this is the realm of knock. And in that realm, that realm of knock is, I would even say this, it's the realm of agreement. Something changes when you begin to agree with your heavenly Father. Something changes in you and I. See, there's these realms, the realm of ask, the realm of seek, and then the realm of knock. You'd understand that you'd seen people get up and they just seem to be full of faith. As soon as they start to pray, They've spent time in the realms. They agree with the heavenly Father. What does, God, what does Jesus say? I only do what I see my Father do on earth. And what was that? Healed the sick, delivered people. I get so many people saying, I'm not sure if it's God's will for me to be healed. I'm like, have you read the Gospels? Have you seen what Jesus did? And He said, I only do what I see my Father do. And what was that? He, he was the living, breathing Will in action. He was the Word made flesh. He came and we saw it and it has been written for us to remember. This is what He did. He healed people. But something changes when you get into this realm. Something changes forever in your life. You no longer live by what the world may say or what the doctor's report may come in or what your bank account looks like. I had these doctors or the teachers come to me and say, your son, he's not learning well. He doesn't know. He, he needs to go into this specialist. He needs to see that person. And it's just reminded me of my childhood. I grew up the same, diagnosed with ADHD. I was told, I was put on medication. I was told I'd never be able to read in public. I'd never speak in public. Isn't it funny, whatever the enemy bites you with, like Paul did, what Paul on the, the island of Malta, the very thing, the snake that bit his hand, what did he do? He shook it off into the flame. That hand goes on to heal nations, touch people, set people free. I'm telling you, if you're being attacked in an area, I, I, I would say, I'm telling you, it's a threat to the enemy. Have faith and believe. And I say to them, no. I go home and I declare over him, not case, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. No, you will learn. 
You will understand. You will comprehend. You're going to travel the world. You're going to speak to nations. You're going to be in palaces and kingdoms. And you, Come on, we need to start declaring this. You're not sick. You're alive. You're healed. Hallelujah. Feel God's anointing here right now.